You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. And tonight, we're going to remember the 5th of November as we take a look back at V for Vendetta. You no trouble. Me, fifth element. Supreme being. You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death, praying for war. But until that day, you are cute. Sound off like you got a pair. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian. With me tonight, Mr. Paul Williams. Hello, hello. How you doing there, dude? Doing good, man. Doing good. Ready to talk about some V for Vendetta. We picked this because John Hurt uh, passed away. Great actor. We were actually trying to think about um, movies of his to do. Wanted to do 1984, but man, that Blu-ray from Twilight Time is really hard to get a hold of. So we ended up, we ended up passing on that because figured not a lot of people would have access to it. You can watch it on I think on Amazon, but um, anyway, it's it's hard to get get the extra features and things. So he is in V for Vendetta, playing a much different role than in 1984. Yeah, his role in V for Vendetta is a uh, pretty much a very paranoid dictator. Only way you can really describe him, you know, he basically is taking control of all the government and like i said he's kind of turned himself into like this demagogue almost yeah it's a lot of a lot of hitler imagery in the film for sure oh yeah definitely yeah i, man, oh, I like a even, lot of his performances know, like i even elephant man dude even under all that makeup yeah it's so good very very good role in alien i just like his supporting I mean, he, work he like did. even in the hellboy movies even when he's a supporting character, I mean, he's usually a supporting character. I mean, there's not yeah. too many leading roles that uh, John Hurt really had. But I mean, he always added something to those movies. Yeah, he added his own little, you know, flair and, and his own little nuances. And, you know, he's, he's just, you know, another actor that's going to be sorely missed. And, you know, I appreciate all the work they've done, even as a supporting actor or you know, and like you just said, the rare cases where he he was a leading actor. So that's going to bring us to our conversation, uh, starting with V for Vendetta. Now, this came out in March of 2006. I'm pretty sure there was a lot of thought put into this because, you know, the, the state of the United States at the time, we had two separate conflicts going on in two separate countries at the time. We had a president who had a very, very, very low approval rating. It was the Bush years. And so, yeah, this is the the, the W era. And Hollywood and, usually has something to say about about the Bush yep. years. Oh, we haven't seen nothing yet. Wait, wait till what Hollywood has to say about our current president. <laughs> Do you think Oliver Stone's going to come out with a, a movie? He's just going to call it Trump. Actually, he or, probably would name it Big League. <laughs> and, and just and do B I G L Y. You've been Trump. I I don't know. I see relevance coming back now, even with our current president and some of the things that he has implemented already. It's kind of crazy though now because 
when this movie came out, some of the ideas that are presented in this film for you know in 2006, I thought it's like, well, this is kind of this is kind of dated already in 2006. Doesn't feel so dated right now, you know, where we're having, yeah. um, you know, the alt right movement is is gaining more traction, and that's they're actually having supporters for that. That's open racism and sexism. How did we get to a place yep. where that's cool and that's open to talk about, and you're proud of that? That's not okay. Even on Wikipedia, they said something along the lines of "V for Vendetta" was a, a dystopian political thriller. They also used the term neo-fascist regime. Being all right is just another way of saying neo-fascism. You know, basically you have a a group in our country right now that is gaining power that's called the alt-right movement. And, you know, in in V for Vendetta, you have a neo-fascist government, which is basically the same thing. That's pretty much taken over. You know, you have no more freedoms anymore. You're not allowed to just go do whatever you want. There's curfews, martial law. And like I said, once again, I kind of, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I see way more relevance now than maybe I did in 2006 when I saw it. It, feel, it definitely feels more timely. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about it. It feels like a movie of, of now. And, and in 2006, it did seem more like a comic book film. Which I mean, we haven't yeah. we haven't touched on. This was based off of a graphic novel by Alan Moore. I I've read this. Have, have, have you read V for Vendetta, Paul? No, no. But I, from what I understand, there are quite a few differences from the movie and the graphic novel. From what I also have looked into, uh, Alan Moore wasn't really too happy with V for Vendetta movie. Well, you know what? It, it was actually, I think Warner ended up using using a quote from him saying that he, he enjoyed the movie or something. And then he came out saying, wait, I didn't say that. That's that's bullshit. Yeah. He got his name completely he, removed from the film. Yeah, so I was going to say he didn't even receive credits. And I mean, which which is understandable because, you know, Alan, Alan Moore had had, you know, had already kind of had a few uh, adaptations of his graphic novels done before. I believe League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was one of them. From, From Hell. Hell was another one. Up. Those came out, and then From what I- Watchmen came out after this, but this is the one I think yeah. where he was, after V from Vendetta came out, he was like, fuck you, Hollywood. Or he said something along those lines. I mean, he just gave the middle finger and pretty much, yeah, yeah. I mean, like he, he took his name off this. The studio didn't take his name off. He said, "I want my name off that." Yeah, man. And I mean, Alan Moore is credited for doing Killing Joke, once again, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, From Hell. I love his um, uh, his run on Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing. Yeah, he I'm also did uh, The Dark Knight Returns. No, no, that was Frank Miller. Oh yeah, that was Frank Miller. I'm sorry. No, you old Batman boy. So you know the guy. The guy has, at least in the comic book world, the guy. The guy definitely has some clout. Little cranky when it comes to dealing with Hollywood, but you know, I don't see why he got that mad though. The movie does change some things, but it really doesn't change that much. Like the overall tone, I don't feel like it's changed really. It's got more There's of a more dystopian outlook in the graphic novel than in the movie, but. I mean, really, man, there's not that much changed. V's character in the movie is is quite a bit different than V's character or, or how V dispatches of said characters in the graphic novel is different than it is in the movie. No, it's it's pretty much the same. We'll, we'll get into it. It's mostly different at the end, but, you know, he, he fights a couple guys with those little daggers that he has. I don't know what those little blades, I don't know if they have a name, but, and then he, he poisons the people that he has his vendetta against. Well, I guess some of them, you don't know what he does. Like, you just see the aftermath. Bukowski Brothers did write the film adaptation. They're, they're well known for doing God knows. The Matrix. Know. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they were so super hot off that, like, the Matrix films put them on the map. And uh, Joel Silver produced this. Of course, he did the Matrix films. Man, he did so many action movies, like Lethal Weapon, and he did a bunch of Schwarzenegger movies. I think he did Commando. But, I mean, this was a whole Matrix crew. Even the director 
is like one of the second unit guys on the Matrix sequels. Yeah, it was directed by James McTeague. Yeah, um, James McTeague is the director. Yeah, I really don't know what else this guy has done. Yeah, I haven't seen Ninja Assassin. But, oh, he did Ninja Assassin? Yes. That wasn't all that great. And this is Adrian Bibble's last film, man. Uh, we've talked about him so much on this podcast. I think we've talked about him more than any other cinematographer. This is the DP from Aliens and Event Horizon that we've talked about before. His last movie, yes. and uh, he's got a little credit at the end where it's got a in loving memory or whatever it says at the end. Yeah, it's in it's. I, I believe that's what it says. Adrian Biddle has he is he is a, an amazing amazing cinematographer. Quite a bit of a uh, list of movies that he is uh, he has filmed. I mean, out, even outside of the ones that we've talked about, Princess Bride is great. He did a Bond movie, The World Is Not Enough. I know it's not everybody's favorite Bond, but man, that movie looks good, dude. It looks great. Yeah, it definitely does. He definitely does have a, a roster of movies on his on his list. This film is also this film was shot in Germany, and uh, and I apologize if I'm ruining this name, but uh, Babelsberg Studios or Studio Babelsberg. I think it's you know kind of a little ironic that a movie that was. <laughs> about rebelling against a fascist dictator would be filmed in the same place that uh, Adolf Hitler shot propaganda films, you know, Nazi propaganda films. And they, and they also shot a lot in um, London as well. You know, they I think they closed yes. down uh, outside of uh, Parliament, and they were able to shoot there in the streets. And, I mean, you can see in the movie they're with the, all the extras wearing the Guy Fawkes mask. They had very little time to actually film this. Oh yeah, I'm sure that's a tough area to shoot in, man. Like you know, getting getting yeah. permissions and especially like they had the, the, all those tanks and fake guns. Oh man, I'm, I bet you security oh, yeah. around there was a bitch. Oh, it probably was, dude. It was probably horrible. The prop guys would probably just like, yeah. man, we have to get here like six hours before everybody else, so security can check us over fifteen times. They actually built, you know, like the Big Ben. They built like a twenty twenty five foot version oh I mean, you always think is really yeah the models like I've, I've always kind of been fascinated with that and i've always thought it was kind of cool that you know i mean because they went into extreme detail with these models you know because they had to make them look exactly like the real thing the whole shot with parliament blowing up that was just like one really super quick shot that they only had one chance to shoot it and it's like if you mess this up like there is no reshoot on this yeah, well, once you, you know, blow it up, you it's it's blown up. Yeah, you can't. You know, you'd have to read another. You'd have to rebuild another whole model, and usually there's not a budget for that. But I mean, it's 2006. No. It's cool. I mean, they could have they could have done this all CGI. I mean, that was possible, yeah. but they chose not to. And yeah. I think it looks pretty good in the movie. You know, I think it looks better for it. I didn't really pay attention to it until. Going back and rewatching the Blu-ray for it, I love the way it kind of they kind of made it to where it looks like it blows the whole face out of Big Ben first, and then the rest of Big Ben kind of goes after it. If you watched on the behind the scenes, do you see how quick that happens in in real time? Like it's over in oh like yeah, dude, it's a like second, a second, literally. Maybe you can tell me what it what it's called, man. But whatever that 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 rail that they had the camera on when they were because they had, you know, they had to go down the whole side of the building and film the whole building blowing up. Oh, it's just a dog. But it's like when you watch the behind the scenes, that camera, whatever that little seat that dude's the cameraman's riding on, it's a dolly. It's moving really fast. Yeah, that dolly is seriously moving. Let's go into the cast here real quick. Natalie Portman. What do you think? She kind of played this meek, timid, scared character who ends up you know, completely changing herself. Her role in V for Vendetta, it, it really showed her acting skills. Way better than I, I previously kind of given her credit for. Natalie Portman's an actress I, I think I dislike, but then when I start to think about uh, everything that she's done, the first thing I, th I think of is usually Star Wars. And she, <laughs> yeah. is, she is bad in those. But then when you start thinking about, like, I like her in Black Swan. She's good in that. I mm -hmm. liked her. I mean, I even liked her when she was a kid in The Professional. Yeah, because she did play in The Professional, yes. I do like her here. 
you know, for the most part, I get okay. What do you think of her accent? I feel like she's an American girl stuck in Britain. That's the only way I can explain her accent. Yeah, sometimes it feels a little thick. I have heard complaints and have read complaints about it. Um, I understand. I can see them. I, you know, I mean, I get it. It it just doesn't bother me. And I mean, she is a really good actress. When you start and you start thinking about her roles and and looking back over her career, yeah, you just you know. Ev- Everybody looks bad in those Star Wars prequels, man. Nobody came away untarnished from those films. Especially those poor bastards that played Anakin Skywalker. Oh, man, I feel so sorry for those two <laughs> actors, man. <laughs> like, those guys will never live that down. Yeah, like I said, man, I, I think I think she did a, a great job in V for Vendetta. What, what about Hugo Weaving? The only other movie I know, God, this is so sad to say this, but the only other movie that I really, really know him from or he plays in one of the Babe movies. Yeah, dude, he's the uh, he's the dog. He's like the alpha dog. What's uh, I forget Rex. the dogs. Yeah, Rex. There we go. Rex. Yeah, dude. He's God. hello. He's he's Agent Smith though in the Matrix. How are you forgetting that, dude? Oh my God. He's yeah, he's Lord Elrond in Lord of the Rings. Like, I mean, how are you missing like those two gigantic franchises? You know, yeah. you know what uh, that good old Hugo Weaving's famous for? He's famous for that Babe movie with the the talking pig and the well, no, sheep. No, well, the reason, why, well, the reason why I just watched Babe the other day with my kids. Oh, Babe is Babe is <laughs> a great movie. That's the first movie that came to mind. Jackass. He's also the uh, voice of Megatron in the uh, Transformer films. Now, see that I, I did not know that. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah, because they got rid of they kept the original uh, Optimus Prime, but they got rid of the original Megatron. They brought in Hugo Weaving. Michael Bay's like, you don't sound badass enough. And, you know, outside of any of the actors, there's a bunch of great actors in this cast. But Stephen Ray, guy from The Crying Game, he plays a really fucked up vampire that ends up kidnapping Brad Pitts. Oh, who who is yeah, it? He, he ends up uh... captain Kristen Dunst's character and. In interview with a vampire, vampire. Yeah. yeah, he's that one other evil vampire, I guess. <laughs> he's not like the sexy Antonio Banderas vampire, dude. Every time Antonio Banderas comes on screen in interview with a vampire, I just look at his hair and I'm like, man, you spend a lot of time brushing that, don't you? <laughs> the minute you leave this this evil crypt, you're just gonna go get a brush out and start brushing those luscious locks. He just wakes straight up, man, and just brushes his hair. He's down in the crypt, and he, he's like, he must bring me the bottled water. <laughs> Shampooing his hair. <laughs> Everything else is 18th century, but he's got, like, he's got the Vidal Sassoon. He's got, like, a blow dryer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the extension cords run down to, to the to the mausoleum crypt. It's that extension cord just sticking out of his... <laughs> this is ridiculous. What are we, What is going on? Oh, man, you got talking about how... how... Perfect Antonio Banderas's hair was in Interview with a Vampire. He does have man, his hair does look great in that movie. I will say. I don't know if that's a wig or his actual hair, but it looks it looks amazing. But no, man, I dude, I love Stephen Ray. He's a he's an actor that he's great in everything. He's really good in Hunger yeah. Ga- um, Hunger Games, The Crying Game, Hunger Games. That's a yeah, totally different movie. Good. Don't mix those up, kids. But, Hunger Games is a song you rip off a of battle royale. But anyway, yeah, that's true. Did you want to bring up the budget? From what I understand, the movie didn't really do too bad. It cost uh, $54 million to make, and it made, I believe it was $132.5 million. Yeah, worldwide. So, yeah, I mean, that's it's not bad. It's more than double its budget. It didn't get that uh, that three multiplier that all the studios want. You know, if you took your budget and multiply it by, by three, that way it's covering your... Yeah your ad um, budget as well. Although I don't know how true that is anymore. It doesn't quite make that, but man, you know, it did better than all those other more adaptations. Like even Watchmen made more money overall, but Watchmen also cost like over a hundred million to make. That is true. I didn't really care for league of extraordinary gentlemen all that much. Yeah. Neither did Alan Moore. (laughs) He really, really hated that movie. I, I can see why. I can I can totally see why. Or maybe maybe that was the one he, he just he was like, I'm not watch I'm not even watching that shit. <laughs> yeah. 
that that is it is a it is a pretty bad movie like the hide the mr hide transformation is pretty terrible it it looks oh, it's so horrible, bad dude. yeah the cgi does not hold up at all yeah and i mean that was actually supposed to be a i mean i remember it being a pretty you know like the advertising there was a like a, a shitload of advertising for league of extraordinary gentlemen like i remember something with one of the fast food chains maybe it was like taco bell or something where you got like the league of extraordinary gentlemen cups or some shit there was something big with that i mean that was uh sean connery's like this is oh, man was that his last movie that may i know it was his last I, big summer no, blockbuster no. film that's movie. I think the last movie I remember seeing him in was that movie he did with uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Entrapment. Oh, no, man. Uh, League for Extraordinary Gentlemen came out way after that. Well, I must say way after that, a couple years after that. Yeah, man. Okay, yeah, so yeah, Entrapment came out in 1999. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen came out in 2003. And yeah, that was his last movie. Wow, I thought that movie came out way earlier than that. He's done a little bit of voice work, but this was his last on-screen role. Yeah, I feel sorry for that director, though, man. That guy that directed that, man, that kind of killed his career. That, uh, what's his name? Steven Norrington? He did Blade. Oh, and, it was the same guy that did Blade. Yeah, he did Blade. He got kind of, you know, he got kind of big off Blade. And then he did League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, that was, that was kind of it. He went back to working crew. Wow. Like, 20th Century Fox was expecting a lot on that, and it, it failed. But, I mean, that's also why V for Vendetta did not have a $100 million budget or a $70 million budget. We're going to take a break, play the trailer for V for Vendetta. When we come back, we're going to spoil this movie. You've been warned. The truth is, there is something terribly wrong with this country. Whoa! Excuse me, miss. I'm sorry. No, yet you're not, but you will be. The only verdict is vengeance. A vendetta. <laughs> If our own government was responsible for the deaths of a hundred thousand people, would you really want to know? You're getting back at them for what they did to you. Fear became the ultimate tool of this government. I want everyone to remember why they need us. I wish I wasn't afraid all the time. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. This is exactly what he wants. Chaos. All right, we're back, and that was the trailer for V for Vendetta. You know, I guess we didn't really get into this before. Paul, is this the first time you saw this movie? First time I saw this movie, I actually um, uh, rented the DVD from a movie store, and I really enjoyed the movie, and I thought it was a, a really, really cool action film. And I was kind of one of those people that was a, a, kind of against George W. Bush and a lot of his policies and and I did see com- a lot of comparisons to V for Vendetta and what was going on at the time politically in our country. Overall, once again, I just looked at it as being a really cool action movie. I know the filmmakers have said that they adapted V for Vendetta for the Bush era because the original graphic novel is not its not a commentary on America at all. It's like, uh, I think it's the Margaret Thatcher years. The eighties of yeah. uh, of England. Oh yeah, they 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 definitely Americanized it for the film. There are people in Hollywood, of course, you know, they have political views and everything. And you know, I guess the Wachowski brothers thought that. I'm assuming that you know they disagreed with what George W. Bush was doing at the time. You know, sending soldiers to fight in a country that did not directly attack us, and then come to find out that we were all kind of bamboozled by it well this is not the first time i've seen this film either seen it before i saw it in the theater yeah i did not like this movie though did not like it first viewing um so so just out of curiosity i i've kind of given my view and and kind of politics and kind of what the film came across to me what about you i you know it just felt so comic booky at the time everything felt more like it was an allegory or a metaphor for Nazi Germany than it was the Bush administration. You know what I mean? It was just because it's so it's so yeah. heavy-handed. The Hitler to the Chancellor in this movie, played by John Hurt, it, the parallels are there. 
and the visuals, like even how they have their symbol, which is like a cross with another, you know, horizontal, you know, slash in it. It didn't really have a lasting impression. It didn't really make a, a political impact on me. It felt like a comic book movie's way of dealing with politics. I hate saying comic book like, but that's what it felt like. You know what I mean? It, it's kind of silly. I mean, I could see, um, I could definitely see the comic book, uh, the comic bookiness of the film. And I mean, I can even see that now watching it. Do you think that could have been also because, or you might not have been quite as into politics or your political views were different then? No, I, I, I don't know. I think it's just, it's how I've kind of felt about the movie. The movie has a lot of these matrix elements to it. And it, it lets, yeah. the way the movie's shot, it lets you know that it's a comic book film. Like, even the first time you see V, and he's he's there to save Evie, Natalie Portman's character, yeah. right? And just the way that's shot when he's slashing the Fingerman's badge. You know, the, the way the insert's done and everybody's reaction, they're like comic book panels. The way the visual images are being portrayed, it makes it feel more like, okay, this is a, you know, this is kind of a dark superhero film i i could i can see that because there's like a silhouette shot of v standing in the the archway before he you know before he really accosts the officers yeah like those reflections in people's eyes there's a lot of shots of like you you can see what they're seeing in the in the reflection of their eye that one shot where the doctor is looking at at v after he burns down the camp that's the exact sh- panel from the comic or from the graphic novel. It, there could be possibly an interpretation of a metaphor behind that because looking into oneself, you know, maybe that's, that's the metaphor because there are a lot of reflections. In, in, I mean, even if you take V's character, for example. Well, I think V, v later in this movie makes Evie go through the ultimate self-reflection in the most dickhead-ish way exactly. of all time. It, exactly. So the metaphor is like, that, I, that totally holds up. I totally agree with you, what you're saying here. Sometimes you need to take a look at yourself and change yourself because once you change yourself, you can change the world around you. You know, like, like you just said with the whole, the whole thing with Evie, you know, she, it, it kind of made her realize that if you don't act and you don't make the effort to change something around you, you know, are you just going to be complacent your entire life? Well, that's how her character starts off in the movie. Um, she's very complacent. The first montage of the movie, you have the the voice of London spouting off mm-hmm. all this crap. Like he even starts it off with talking about America sucking. I read that the former United States is so desperate for medical supplies that they have allegedly sent several containers filled with wheat and tobacco. A gesture, they said, of goodwill. You want to know what I think? You're listening to my show, so I will assume you do. I think it's high time we let the colonies know what we really think of them. I think it's payback time for a little tea party they threw for us a few hundred years ago. I say we go down to those docks tonight and dump that crap where everything from the ulcered sphincter of our Serica belongs. Who's with me? Who's bloody with me? Did you like that? USA, ulcered sphincter of our Serica. I mean, what else can you say? It was a country that had everything, absolutely everything. And now, 20 years later, is what? The world's biggest leper colony. Why? Godlessness. Let me say that again. Godlessness. It wasn't the war they started. It wasn't the plague they created. It was judgment. And she listens to it for a while before turning it off. And this movie starts off with media propaganda. You know who kind of this guy reminds me of? The voice of London? A younger Rush Limbaugh. Some of the rantings and ravings of, of Rush Limbaugh, or now even modern day was would be Alex Jones, is pretty much what exactly how the voice of London is portrayed in this film. Yeah. I mean, what kind of egotistical ass gets in his own shower watching a an already broadcasted version of his own show <laughs> and is repeating himself. Oh, dude, I, I love that, man. Like, he's his shower is, it's like in the middle of the room, and it's all it's glass, awesome. and he can, he can just see, he can see himself on TV, no matter where he looks. He's just like, oh, look. Right right before he gets in the shower, he's like, yeah, we got to fire this D, DOP. He's, 
shooting me at the wrong angle with the wrong light. It's like, God, this guy's such a dick. Yeah, he's like, he somebody's making his nose look big or some shit. You're even a dick in your fucking private life. So he is <laughs> the voice of London. And this sets up like a whole branch of government and how they're all they're broken out. And it's it's a little bit different in the graphic novel than it is here. But they have the ear, which is audio surveillance. And in the graphic novel, they have the eye, which is video. The fingermen are like, what are they, like the Gestapo? Yeah, you Gestapo, know. Pinkerton. And then the head, which is also, you know, it's the Chancellor in this movie. And they're all broken out. But the big, the big difference in the graphic novel is that there's this computer called Fate. You find out at the end, and this is a spoiler for the graphic novel, so skip this if you don't want to hear it. But in the graphic novel, V has access to Fate, and that's how he's able to do a lot of the things that he's he's able to do and get access to. Like he's he can get certain chemicals, and he can distribute, you know, and and pay for you know, a million Guy Fox masks to go out. Which is not explained where he gets the funds for in this movie, but you know they they do answer that in the graphic novel. Like he also has a plethora of uh, books in this in in this movie too. Yeah, what's his underground base called? Uh, the Shadow, the Shadow Gallery. Where yeah, he has all his his paintings. He's got that jukebox. What do you think of the uh, the attack on the t- television station? They they make V the character V to be this extreme intellectual, you know. Not not only is he physically capable, but he, he's a really smart guy. And he this is this is something that he has planned for quite, you know quite some time. And I do I do like the the message that he sends out to London. Oh yeah, his know, about, his broadcast signal. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I like that too. He just calls everybody out. It's like hey. It's all of y'all's fault. Yeah, you're the only ones that can you know, do anything about it. He does come up on a hopeful note. He's like, come on, guys. Hey, look, we, we can do this. He's like, yes, we're going to wait, and we're going to do this next November 5th, guys. We're going to blow up. Uh, what is it? What are they going to blow up? Parliament. They're going to blow up Parliament? I thought they already blew up Parliament. He blows up the Bailey no. at the beginning. And, no, that, right? that was the Bailey. Yeah. yeah he blows right. up the Bailey. He, he wants to blow up Parliament. Uh, because of Guy Fawkes, he was in. <laughs> he was intending on blowing up Parliament. I mean, he was. He had packed a shitload of gunpowder under Parliament, and he was going to blow it up. And this and is a, a to this day a bad guy, right? It depends on what corners of Europe you go to. In England, they they oh, burned in England, this, he's, right? Yeah, in England, he's he was a, he was he was a fucking terrorist. Yeah, because I think this movie was originally supposed to come out on like the four hundredth. Guy Fox Day or Anniversary. whatever the hell it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they and even in Britain to this day, don't get your history from the seventh of November. They still make a effigy of Guy Fox and burn his ass in the streets. He's he's definitely not a hero in England. But um, now Anonymous uses their mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> More is a symbol from this movie. And the guys at Anonymous, you know, really put their heads together. They they have done some. They've done some good things, man. you know, shutting down child sex rings and stuff like that. You know, I'm not going to say anything bad about some, Anonymous. It, They're like, nope. wait, hey, did you guys hear about uh, that dick at the movie crew podcast? Oh yeah, F- put him on the shit list. Oh man, everybody yeah. is going to know we're, we're, what we're this not... guy is jerking off to at fucking two a.m. in the morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then after that, he switches over to hentai, and then it just gets weird after that. Come on, if I was going to jerk off to a cartoon, it'd be Jessica Rabbit. Anyway, um... Hey, touche on that one. This derailed quickly. You know, um, but yeah, Guy Fox, he one man's terrorist could be another man's freedom fighter. Because there are parts of Europe where Guy Fox is kind of looked at as a freedom fighter. So it's a... It's, it's almost a double-edged sword. Oh, no, it's not... It's, it's, a diff, it's, it's just a different point of view. You know, um, yeah, it's a different. Yeah, it is. They even call V a terrorist in the movie. The people who are in control and like being in control, you know, they're they're the ones who are labeling him, labeling him as being a terrorist. He does this little stunt where he puts the Guy Fox mask on everyone that's inside uh-huh. this TV station, and when they, you know, when they leave, they actually shoot one of the people. I guess 
one of the TV crew guys, <laughs> that grip yeah. got it got shot down right away just because he happened to be wearing the mask. The TV station controlled by the government takes that clip and they're like, yes, look, we, we killed the terrorist. When, when V blows up the Bailey, what do they do? The news comes out and, and says that there was a scheduled demolition to retire the Bailey. You just lied to everyone watching you. Like, you just blatantly lied. Like, while all this is happening, V is also murdering people, specific people along the way. And at the beginning, because he, he murders the, the voice of London first, you think that it's yeah. for political reasons. But as the film goes on, you, you find out these are people that, yeah. you know, uh, held him up, captured him. And then you find out that this the, their government is built on all these lies and all these cover-ups. It just, it just goes down to so many lies. Yeah, you take the St. Mary's virus, you know. Uh, the St. Mary's virus was supposed to be a virus that, that struck London and it killed a lot of people. Well, come to find out, the, the government completely engineered this virus even tested on on a subject like v he was immune to it and this is where it's like it definitely goes to like the nazi germany like every everybody that lives in this society is a white person oh yeah because you see these camps that are set up for anyone that's gay yeah, I don't even know what V was because he's burned in the movie. I, you have no idea what his race was. You know, I guess I don't know if he was religious, if he was a homosexual, you know, if he just happened to be, you know, had, had a different color skin. I don't know. Whatever, whatever his not being a white person was. Well, there's one scene in the movie, man, that it still kind of disturbs me. The, the black bagging pretty terrifying in itself and i mean i understand once again when they take the dietrich character it's so it's freaky it is he's just, he's it making definitely. eye contact with uh evie and she's under the bed you're like oh no 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 no, girl don't say a word maybe they're just gonna kick his ass oh man when he gets oh, no. that black bag put on his head you know he's so fucked the scene with her parents man evie's parents were like political activists i guess we should put a little bit of context the dietrich's character gets black bagged because he does like a, I don't know, it was like a Jimmy Fallon, pick your late night host, uh, Jay Leno skit where yeah, he's making like fun a, of the chancellor uh, and uh, Conan V. O'Brien. Yeah. It's like a Conan O'Brien skit with V and the chancellor. Yeah. It shows you what kind of government basically that you're dealing with here. Evie also gets black bag right in this same sequence here now. And this is the, this is a middle chunk of this movie where she gets taken and you think she's getting interviewed by Creedy and she's getting tortured. Gets her head shaved. She gets tortured. You find out after a long time has passed, I guess, I guess a couple months. I would say at least two or three months. You know, because she refuses to give V up to her captors, she gets let go and it turns out that V tortured her. Worst friend ever. Yeah, no shit, right? Yeah, it was really like, him the entire time, and it's, you know, that's... <sighs> well, I mean, he even explains why he did it. I mean, does I he, Paul, man. Like, does he really explain why he did it? <laughs> yeah, he kind of does, man. <laughs> he, uh... Really, Paul? He tells her, he, I mean, and it makes sense why he did it. I mean, it does. I mean, does that say that what he did was right? What what no. What does he say? What was his reasoning for doing it? His reasoning was to break her down and pretty much see if she would give him up. His whole reason for breaking her down is is, is be able to make her see what freedom really means, you know, like what 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 freedom really is. Can you see what yep. it's like to really have nothing else left to live for? Because you really, at that I, point, have nothing else to do. Because she was even begging him. She was, you know, fucking just kill me. I, you know, I know he's 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 trying to make her her character like you know want to be proactive, and that's yeah. how he thinks he needs to do. It. You know, I don't know, man. Maybe Tough maybe love, man. Tough <laughs> love. Maybe there could have been a better way. I don't know. You know your teaching skills suck, hey, man. Me. <laughs> like no shit, dude. But hey, tough love. Sometimes sometimes you got to be cruel to be kind. You know. His character is extremely questionable. Like he's not a typical superhero. He's I don't even want to call him an anti-hero. Yeah, he's he's just he kind doesn't even want to stick around at the end of the movie to help rebuild the government. 
He really is <laughs> just so interested up. in destroying it. In destroying it. Yeah, and then he's that's like, "All he wants to do." You know, and that's you know, I understand that's why he's like just you know torturing Evie's. Like, you know, I want you to kind of take up my mantle. And in the graphic novel, yeah, she actually, yeah, she actually does become V at the end. And in this movie, they have that thing at the end where it's like, "Oh, V is all of us." But which I actually thought that was kind of cool. Because then, then, then you really do turn the character V into kind of a martyr. Pretty much sacrificed itself to make the people of the country realize that life should be way better than it is. So, and, and that was his goal all along. Wake the people of the country up and make them see life is way too short, way too precious. It means so much more than having to be in your house by a certain time in the evening, not even, not even be able to read certain religious texts, not even being able to listen to certain music. Oh, dude, that is that is the best part. Like when V blows up uh, the Bailey, <laughs> John Hurt's character is like, he's got like a bloodshot eye, his blood pressure is getting out of control, and he's like, just put that music on the. On the band list. When he bans the 1812 Overture? Yes. He bans a piece of classical music. And that's outlawed. He also has the Quran, which is outlawed. I, You know, and I that's, mean, that's hell- another thing. Like, just going into that character's life that just, you know, he doesn't get a lot of screen time, but they, they, use, they use him well. You yes. find out that Evie was going to visit him, and that's all just a disguise because he's really gay. He's just dating her to keep up public appearance, so nobody will know. Like that's how bad this they, is, if, if, because he knows if they yeah, find out, found out, he's going to be put in yep, some camp. He was a homosexual. If they found out he was a homosexual or owned the Book of Karma Sutra or the Quran or the many other miscellaneous things that he has in his apartment. And I, I love that conversation between him and Evie in that scene. And, you know, he, he, he's telling her, he's like, you know, if I get caught with half the stuff that I have in this apartment, you know, I could be black bagged for it. He's got a great piece of artwork with uh, John Hurt's uh, Chancellor character dressed up in, uh, as a queen. Yeah, he does. It's yeah, like, he uh, does. As the queen the of dra- Yeah, the yeah. drag chancellor. It's it very, it's very so, England I mean, punk. They do say that America started a war, but they don't really say why America started the war. And that's one thing I was going to ask you that differs from the graphic novel to the movie. Did they go into any more detail about how all this happened? Yeah, in the graphic novel, it's it's just a war and there's a lot of starvation. And I don't think there's any vi- there's no virus outbreak or anything like that. You know, like what they were doing to the people in the concentration camps, the V character kind of got, he kind of got like superpowers. Um, and he went a little mad and crazy in the graphic novel. Um, and this movie, you're led to believe that there's a there was some war with America. And what do they call them? The, the Norse Fire? I think that's what they're called, yeah, the no Norse fire. fire Party. And they, they rode to prominent, put people in these concentration camps tested this virus on him and V was part of that. And he was the, I guess, most resilient patient. This started some outbreak. And then people that were manufacturing the cure at the pharmacy were the same people that working at the concentration camps. These are the people that V is picking off throughout the movie. The story in the movie is a little bit extra convoluted, you know, cause there's also that three waters incident, you know, and was that the same virus? Was that a viral? Was that also a vir- viral outbreak? Like they put something in the um, water, right? Yeah, the St. Mary's virus was the virus that pretty much killing everybody. I think Three Waters was supposed to be the religious extremists, or or the religious extremists caused some kind of outbreak, and it turns out it was really the government. Yeah, the government was the one who actually caused the outbreak. They pretty much used this outbreak as a catalyst for their master plan of controlling the population and making the, the population of the country completely docile. And okay. But hold that, up. That, but but were... that, that, that's one thing that doesn't really make sense though, because they were already in power because they had those little, they had their concentration camps already set up because they were testing people to make the virus. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, so they were already in power. I mean, they were in power enough to, 
round up all the non-white people. What better way to get control of a population than to further kill them off, create a virus where you can gain further control because you're instilling more fear into said population, and then come up with the cure to the virus you created. Then it makes you look like you're a savior. You get more control. They already had control. I mean, you know what I mean? The whole viral outbreak question. stuff yeah. is not in the graphic novel. And I, I think it, it, makes the, it makes the plot here a little convoluted. And it kind of doesn't really yeah, make I a whole lot of that. sense. You know, it's like if you, yeah, if you have that. enough power where you already have concentration camps, like, man, like, dude, what else do you need to do? Like, you've already convinced enough people where it's like, yes, we need to, we need to round up and, and murder these people. Because, dude, even the doctor in her flashback, she's like, oh, God, only if these people knew what they were doing for their country. You guys disgust me. Yeah. Like, she well, writes because, that like, in her diary. I mean, she feels yeah, bad I, I, about it on her deathbed, but it's like, bitch, you still, like, that was your way of, that's how you were thinking of, of them. It's just a really fucked up situation to pay scientists to come up with a virus and then turn around and pay those same scientists to come up with a cure for the virus just because you want to put further control of your people. Yeah, okay, but Paul, what we're talking about is like, what do you think of that plot point? I mean, do you really think that that's necessary, man? Don't you think that it's kind of like muddling the plot? I mean, that's what I'm talking about here. No, not really. I don't think it's really muddling the plot. Um I think it just goes to prove that that's the extremes that this regime is willing to go to. Like at once, I, th- again, like once you already have concentration camps, like what more power do you need? Like I said, dude, that that was my interpretation. Of it. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of what I, what I took away. Yeah, from. I mean, that's um, I, it. Doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I kind of ding the movie for it, but. I mean, I mean, I can agree with you on that. You know that it it it, it is a little bit confusing. I, I can see your I can see your point on it. I can see you know the validness in what you're saying. I don't know. It's a, it's an extra confusion point, especially once you get that note. Like when Easy Evie is locked up by V and she's being tortured, and she finds that note, and it's it's this note of these uh, these two lesbian lovers. It's their love story, how they meet. And how their their world goes to shit by the rise of the chancellor, and it's nothing about viruses, right? Because the virus outbreak hasn't even happened yet, and it's her yeah. her story of her getting round up, all the emotional impact of the film, the rise of the chancellor, and everything that is wrong. I understand with that. I don't need this whole government conspiracy with this virus. Like you already assu- you, you sold me. You sold me with the emotional human drama. You know what I mean? Like you sold me with that story. Yeah. That's the one that I connected to. Yeah, and I mean I can see that because you've already we've already established that they did experiments on V and basically V wants to get revenge on the people who directly affected him. But overall, he wants to get revenge or not really I don't really think he wants to get revenge on the government and parliament as a whole, as much as I want, I think he wants to set an example of that and of the crumbling of those institutions to show the mass populace that they don't need it. It's, I don't know, man. It's kind of different. Like if, if, we're, if you're jumping ahead to the end, like in the graphic novel, like V really does just want, he, he wants to make anarchy. He wants to bring everything down, collapse it all. You know, kind of send it back to like the Stone Age, like, and and that's kind of how it is. Where like people are like, you know, their houses are burned up at the end of the graphic novel. People are looking for food, and it's like, man, this is this this is looking bad. The revolution has started. The movie does kind of skip that, skip over that though. V V blows up Parliament and Big Ben. And- well, I mean, they get the guy Fox mask. Like every like a, I guess a bunch of people get those mailed out, and you you see it like that one guy like they're robbing a convenience store. There's a girl that wears uh, wears oh, one and gets yeah gets shot. Okay, did that uh, did that shit really happen, or was that yeah. just what Finch was saying was going to happen? No, that shit really happened. Like from what I under from what I because you don't see that little girl anymore, and you see the the people kind of rile up and 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 take on the fingerman. You see, well, you see her again in the dead person sequence, <laughs> or yeah, like you, you know what I mean, again. like at the. Uh, 
the dead person sequence, everyone's like, what the hell? Uh, th- at the end of the movie, there's like a montage where everybody takes off their mask, you know, yeah. their Guy Fox mask and V, you know, V is all of us. Right. And they cut to like all these characters that died. And there's this little girl with glasses that we've seen throughout the course of the movie. And she gets gunned down in this montage sequence where Finch is like, I can see what's going to happen now. Yeah. And then you get these montage of visuals with him talking over them. But I don't know. Did that really happen or not? I mean, it could have. I can see both interpretations of that. From what I gather, man, I I got the impression that the reason why everyone showed up like they did at the end is because they were absolutely fed up with the government already. Or, you know, the events that had occurred with the little girl getting shot. And that's what really put the perpetual fire under the citizens to don these guy false costumes on and, you know, pretty much overrun the government. I mean, you can read it so, either way. It, it is very vague. I kind of like that though. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's left very ambiguous, you know, to, to how you want to, how you want to view it. Greedy. He's, he's like the, the head of the fingerman. The V works out this kind of deal with him pretty much bring him to the chancellor. And he's like, bring me the chancellor, work up deal. <laughs> he breaks um, into his greenhouse, man. Hey. Yeah, he breaks into his green- And that's the thing is, who, who the fuck breaks into a greenhouse? He's got some, like, uh, plants he's not supposed to ha- have. What's, he's, he's out there growing marijuana or something. Yeah. He's clipping his buds or whatever. V comes along. He's like, hey, look, uh, you bring me the chancellor. You can be the head of all this. I just want him. That's all I want. Here goes a piece of chalk. Mark an X in your door. And so Grady pretty much brings him to the chancellor. I thought that was surprising. He actually does bring him at the end. Like, yeah, that, that kind of surprised me too. Yeah. And I love that scene, man, where V, he, he kind of confronts the chancellor. and Well, he didn't confront you know, him. Like, the chancellor ch- Grady just takes a gun out and shoots John Hurt's character like straight in the head. Yeah, just like fuck it, you know. Pow, job's done. Yeah, point blank. Like, see, I think no more use for you. You're out. Creedy's overall plan was to kill two birds with one stone. You know, his plan was to get rid of the chancellor and to take the chancellor's place, but also get rid of V at the same time. What'd you think of this action scene, man? Dude, I thought that action scene was bad ass, and that scene did really kind of feel Matrix, like really Matrixy. I think if you if you want to compare any strongly i mean there might be subtleties and nuances from the matrix to to v for vendetta but i think that scene right there man is the something you could totally see out of the matrix yeah it's because you get the little trails going after the uh the daggers yeah you know what i mean that makes it feel slow motion yeah it makes it feel like you know like the wave effect going after after coming after the bullets in the matrix you know when you're in you're in bullet time. It gives it, it gives it a little bit of, you know, back to that comic book. I think in the comic book, then, you know, the daggers have that, that kind of trail effect in the panels animated, you know, dude, this is probably my least favorite scene, you know, to be really? honest, yeah, my least favorite of the action sequences. Um, it's okay. It, it, you know, it really doesn't matter, man. Cause really at the end of the day, what, uh, Hugo weaving's able to do behind that mask and in the voice, of the V character, man. Like he sells me on everything else he's doing. Like this fight scene does nothing to ruin the character for me at all. You know, it mm-hmm. it really doesn't take me out of the movie that much. You know, yeah. I think it's perfectly enjoyable and entertaining, but I can see it not being some people's cup of tea, but I think everything else that Hugo Weaving's bringing into this performance and, you know, it's not even his performance all the way through. It's, uh, there was a, they had another actor, um, James Purfoy. The only other thing I know him from is Resident Evil. He's the guy that, uh, yeah. the other guy that wakes up in the mansion with Mila Jolovich. Like, you know, they had yeah. amnesia. He was, I think he did like, they said like 30 to 40% of the movie before he, he left over creative differences because I guess because of the mask. I don't know how true that yeah. is. I think I read that on IMDb. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I don't know, but still, man, I, I like Hugo Weaving. I mean, and maybe that that other actor, thirty percent of the time or more, they worked for me in all the conversation scenes and everything else. 
like you said, take it, take it as you will. You know, if it takes you out of the movie, I, I'm in agreement with you. I can see how it could, but I, I personally liked it. It didn't bother me one bit at all. You know, at, at that point in time, he pretty much, I guess he had gotten his revenge on the individuals. The whole goal was to blow up parliament and to wake the entire nation up. And Evie is pretty much tasked with this. And I, and I love the, the interactions between her and Finch in, that, in, the, in the final scene when she's down there at the subway car and, you know, she, you know, V's already dead. <laughs> and she's got a <laughs> train full of dynamite. A train full of dynamite and roses. Yeah. So nice. Even Finch, who is, who is set in the entire time he's been investigating this. And, and he's even set in with meetings with the chancellor. Even he does not stop Evie and goes to the, to the rooftop, I believe. And actually stands there and watches watches ben, Big Ben get destroyed and Parliament get destroyed, standing right beside Evie. Well, yeah, Finch's character gets disillusioned with the government as the movie goes on. Like you get the sense even yeah. from the his very first interactions with the cha- the chancellor on the TV screen, he's not with it from the get go. But as the movie goes no, on, he's not one hundred percent on board. He no. just realizes like all the corrupt crap they've done. Let me ask you this. How did he get there at the end of the movie? How did he get in the subway station? How did he find them? He shows up at the, sh- the shadow gallery and it's like, how did he get there? Like <laughs> before V's uh, big, you know, big uh, subway battle with Creedy and the chancellor, uh, Finch, yeah. like at one point just tells his, uh, his, his cop buddy, uh, the guy, that actor from Sherlock, he's just like, "Hey, uh, let me out right here. I gotta, I gotta get out. I'm gonna go search these tunnels." And they're like, "No, there's no use. We've already searched them." And then he just shows up there. He did what well, he did, didn't he? He did figure out who V actually was. No, you don't know who V is. You don't. You go through the whole movie. You have no idea who he is. The V isn't even part well, of his name. That, it's I mean, he was in cell number five. Yeah, well, I mean, he kind of figured out like Roman numeral. He figured that much out about it. But what is that going to tell him about with, where he is? That's not going to tell him anything about his yeah, location. That's true. And then he had the meeting, him and him and the other detective had the meeting with with V, remember? And but they, they didn't, didn't even know it. know it was V. Yeah, he was going under some other name. He no. he said he was a, um, his name was like a Woodworm or some crap like that. Woodworth. Yeah. Woodworth or some shit. Yeah. Woodworth, yeah, who knows. Uh, but he was, he said he was some guard. That was stationed yeah. at that um, concentration camp or that detainment camp or whatever they call them in the, in the film. Yeah, that facility. You know what's great, though? In the graphic novel, they do explain it. And there's a reason why they, they skipped over in the movie. In the graphic novel, the Finch character, it's the most bizarre part of the entire graphic novel. He goes out and he, he does like LSD at the detainment camp that V was uh, stationed at, right? Where he was kept prisoner. <laughs> and... He trips on shrooms. When he leaves there, he's in the he's thinks he's in the right mindset to find V, and he sees a, a subway station that starts with the letter V, and he goes in, and that's what leads him to the shadow gallery, and he's actually the one that kills V, and Creedy and the Chancellor they're all taken out by other people that V has put into place. That's how kind of everything crumbles in the graphic novel. Like he puts everybody against everyone else finch character like tripping to find v is it's insane <laughs> yeah that is that is kind of like uh, uh that is insane and I, i'm assuming that you know lsd or any kind of psychotropic uh drug is extremely extremely illegal so overall man i mean i think i think v for vendetta is a great movie if you really look at it you can get a lot of in-depth thought out of it. I mean, it, it, it's a great action movie. The acting is 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 great in the movie. It's it's amazing. the The set designs are beautiful. I thoroughly enjoy the contrast of lights and darks in the movie. Once again, like I said previously, haven't read the graphic novel, so can't really compare the two. But I mean, I I really enjoy V for Vendetta and. Yeah, I think it's a good movie. It's uh, it's a movie that has grown 
with repeated viewings, I've I've liked it more and more. You know, I think it's a little it's a little bit more relevant now. I feel like than it was when it came out. Um, we have things like travel bans and fake news. Um, the news is the enemy. Uh, people are actually saying things like that. That's scary. I think you should be careful of the news you're consuming. But I think it's very dangerous to con- consider major news outlets like the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN to be fake news. I, w- I would say that's the wrong mindset. Um, it's very relevant right now. The film is very relevant right now. Yeah, I, I have to say I, I agree with you 100% on that. Um, and it's not really so much, I guess, the person that we have as president, but the people surrounding the person that we have as president are the really scary people. Like, like you could easily compare Creedy to fucking Steve Bannon. Yeah, Steve Bannon has some uh, incredibly scary views. Just horrible views of women. But I, I think most of that, most of the administration has terrible views of women. But you know, like oh. the Bowling Green Massacre, man. We can't forget the Bowling Green Massacre. <laughs> I can forget it because it never happened. What are you talking nope. about? But V for Vendetta, yeah. no, it's it, it's a movie that actually has aged well. Um, production wise, the movie looks great. It sounds great. Um, the score is really good. Dario Mariantelli, the composer, uh, did a great job. A- Adrian Bibble did a, an, ama- an amazing job shooting this. I-, I love that insert shot of V coming up over the the church. Man, it looks it, it looks it looks awesome. He's, he's in slow motion with his cape. I mean, this movie looks incredible. Its story. I mean, I do think it feels a little bit comic book like, and you know, adding all of the elements. With the the three waters and the St. Mary's outbreak, I I think that kind of muddles things down. Where they could have made it a lot simpler. Uh, I think the flashback sequence, the lesbian lovers, is amazing. That is such an amazing. That's probably the best moment of the film. Um, yeah, I'd have to agree with. You. Yeah, <laughs> like the way Adrian Bibble just really lets the light and the color open up, and how warm those flashbacks and. As that as, as that flashback and that story progresses, and the color desaturates right back to where Natalie Portman is in the cell, and it's very desaturated, and it, it just it looks good. I don't know. I I do. I recommend the movie. You know, I can see it not being everybody's cup of tea, but it's it's a well made film. And if you haven't watched it in a while, go back and watch it. Seriously, do you do yourself a favor and go back and actually sit down and watch. It, the movie and analyze it and, and really look at it. All right. And with that, guys, that's going to do it for us tonight. You've been listening to the movie crew podcast, our email address. If you guys want to get in touch with us, um, if you want to request uh, an episode on any topic or film, uh, you can write us. That email address is the movie crew at gmail.com. That's the movie crew crew is spelled C R E W E extra E at the end there. At gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Movie Crew Pod. If you guys can leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, guys, that would really help us out. We'd appreciate that. Uh, Paul, where can people follow you, sir? You can follow me at Paul Williams Jr. One um, on Twitter. All right, so we're going to close out the show with a little bit of Dario Marinelli's score. This is Evie Reborn. Enjoy. Peace.